0: This is the Off-Coast Podcast, where we focus on entrepreneurs, investors, and advisors located outside of the large startup ecosystems on the coasts. Now your host, Mark Frank.
1: Welcome to the Off-Coast Podcast. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we've got Brett Jurgens from Notion and really excited. This is the third episode we've done so far. So we're still learning, hopefully improving, and this should be a good one for listeners because Really a different type of company, Notion being a company that actually makes something and has a software to go around with it. So welcome to the Off-Coast podcast.
0: Thank you. And yeah, we are kind of trying to start two companies at the same time. So we have some <laughs> unique, unique challenges on that front, but it's uh, it's fun. It's fun to make a physical thing and to have a lot, of, uh, a lot of data and other stuff on the software side happening alongside of it. It's, it's a cool combination.
1: Definitely. So yeah. why don't you give a little introduction about what Notion is? Yeah. And then how you and Ryan started it and where you know, just kind of the background story and the origin story.
0: Happy to. So Notion provides full home awareness. And really, when I get into my founding story, I think it'll make a little bit more sense where this concept kind of started from for us. But it it's a concept that goes far beyond traditional um home security, which we see as kind of outdated, uh, limited, and it's very expensive. And a lot of people don't have it. Only about 15% of the population has home security. Uh, the other side is the new kind of slew of DIY products that are out there. And a lot of those are single use, but a lot of them also force users to choose the devices they need to monitor what they want. It's very, it's still very complicated and intimidating. And so we wanted to provide something that was very, very easy to install, remove the need for you to choose the technology, and you could just focus on what you could be aware of, what you wanted to be aware of, um, which is, in, in our case now, much more than you've been able to know about in terms of what your home is doing, what's going on with your home, than you ever could before. So what we built, uh, our first product to give you home awareness, is a single sensor about the size of an Oreo, and it has eight different capabilities. So a Notion sensor placed on your front door can tell you if it opens or if it doesn't shut all the way, but that same sensor is also telling you the temperature of the room, if the light's left on, if a smoke alarm goes off nearby, all kinds of different things that go far beyond your initial intent for the use of the product. We can also detect things like water leaks and uh, propane tanks, how full they are, liquor cabinets, gun safes, garage doors, um, all with the same device. So I said eight, functions. All eight functions are always on in every device. We don't have different sensors for different things.
1: So can you rattle off what the eight functions are? Because (laughs) I always
0: always forget. Yeah, the, the technical functions are acceleration, water leaks, sound, temperature, light, orientation, natural frequency, and angular rate. So everybody gets held up on natural frequency. It's essentially how we're doing sound detection and how we can hear how full a propane tank is. So if you have a glass half full of water versus empty, and you ding it with a knife, you hear a different sound. At this point, we're ten people. We're located in Denver, and we've been at it for about two and a half years now. My co-founder Ryan and I have been at it for about a year and a half full time. We were moonlighting for about a year yep. before we we took the leap. We did TechStars last year. We did a Kickstarter campaign. So I, in a way. We've kind of done a lot of startup things, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yep. A lot of, a lot of the things you read about are the kind mm-hmm. of the cool, exciting startup-y things. But it's all just been in an effort to kind of continue to, to build our company and take advantage of what we could. Ryan and I grew up together. So a little bit more on the background. Uh, we grew up in Longmont, Colorado. We both went to hot, uh, college at CU. And back in high school, we thought we'd be good business partners and um, we didn't really know what that would mean, but we've always shared ideas and talked about business and what we could start together. And he was a mechanical engineer, worked for Tidalist and Callaway, knew a bunch about sensor technologies from his work at Tidalist. And um, one day he had a smoke alarm going off, but it was the slow beep, or the infrequent beep from yeah. the battery. So he gets home. He only worked a block away from home at the time. Puppy's freaking out. And he's like, well, hell, I would have just come home and fixed this had I known my smoke alarm was going off. Why didn't I know that? Why don't you know that? Why don't you know that about anything around your house, really? So the first step we made for the first four months, we were going to build the world's best smoke alarm. And we came to the conclusion, this was before Nest Protect came out, Mm -hmm. we came to the conclusion it was going to be really expensive. There was a lot of regulation around smoke alarms that we'd have to kind of pass in order to sell it. Yep. And we also asked a bunch of people, we probably interviewed 50, 100 people, I don't remember a lot, and I think one of them had ever bought a smoke alarm. I'm like, well, that's a problem. People don't buy <laughs> smoke alarms. And when they do, they expect to pay $30 for them. But most people aren't buying these things. Right. But what if you could just hear your alarm? So, so what that means is you already have a smoke alarm and it works and you don't need a new one, but you also don't have it connected. So can we connect it? And that was our first step into this sort of retrofit model quickly talking to people well what else can it do or could it do this i just had a big water leak in my vacation home or i really want to know my garage door's left open my kid leaves it open every night and i never know we thought well there's an interesting kind of opportunity here that's way more than just the smoke alarm what else can we really do mm-hmm. and um, a yeah. number of iterations later we've come to this this device we've made now. And here you are. <laughs> the rest is history. Nice. That hasn't really even started yet.
1: That's great. Well, you, you touched on the fact that you've done a lot of the different sort of startup things, right? And so <laughs> there are a lot of people out there who think about whether they're going to join in, an incubator or an accelerator program. Yeah. When you and I first met, and and just in full disclosure to everyone else, I'm an investor
0: in Notion. And invested before you got into Techstars, we did start to raise kind of that smaller pre-seed round leading into Techstars, obviously not knowing if we'd get in or not, mm-hmm. knowing we would need the pre-seed round, whether we got in or not. Yeah. And one of the big things we did leading up to Techstars was networked. Um, I think that's probably one of my strengths is just kind of trying to build a network and meeting a lot of people and and I find it interesting to meet people, whether or not there's a, an ultimate end game with them. Mm-hmm. Um, just trying to learn something from those people. And so Techstars had a, a seven or eight weeks prior to the application deadline where they had events, trying to get people aware of Techstars, but also give the companies that may apply an ability to understand what Techstars might be like. Mm-hmm. So brought in a lot of the mentors, met with a lot of them. And I, I probably met with and talked to maybe 15 Techstars companies Leading up to our application, just asking them if it was worth it, what mm-hmm. their experience was, what they did to get in, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And through the course of that, I ended up learning a lot more far beyond what to do to get into Techstars yeah. than I, than I think I thought I would. Cause my goal was, well, how do we get into Techstars? And what do we need to do if we do get in to get a lot out of it? And then it ended up just being, wow, I just connected with a whole bunch of startups that are maybe six to 12 months ahead of us. Mm-hmm. And building out that peer group of companies at your current stage, but also like right in front of you has been really, really helpful. We met a lot of people and continue to meet a lot of people that are seven years ahead of us. Those people are helpful, but to have somebody right here, right now that just six months ago went through what you're going through, it's, it's, I've, I've probably learned the most from those people. Yeah. So anyway, this is a little bit of a tangent. but No, no, that,
1: that, that's actually a really good point because I think a lot of entrepreneurs think, I want to get advisors. I want to build my network of people who have this experience and are further along, right? Whether they're still operating a company or they exited and they have this huge, this great resume, this great background. They've done all these awesome things, which you can learn a lot from those people but they're also not in it anymore. Yeah. And things are different now than they were 10 years ago. They're different than they were two years ago. Yeah. And yeah. So finding those people who are actively in it is really helpful. I've, I've seen the same thing. So that, that's a good point.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's been helpful for us, especially some of the other hardware companies here locally and, and even outside of Colorado. Um, there's a lot of software folks mm-hmm. out there, and there's not very many hardware folks. And yeah. so we, we've made a point to try and make sure we have a good network of hardware folks. You know, back to your comments about the, the B2C versus B2B. <laughs> um, yeah, that was true. And I think, you know, even today we have a lot of B2B opportunities that pop up and we're starting to test a couple of them out. The concept that tech stars, and this is tough, but mentor whip flash is kind of mm-hmm. something they say a lot. And you have a lot of smart people, a lot of them consumer, a lot of them B2B folks, and they come in with different, differing opinions. And this was the topic of tech stars for us. Mm. Bunch of people said business all the way, consumer's fickle, it's cost too much money. A lot of people said no, consumer, you guys are going to disrupt the whole market. You have this great consumer technology that you've made so easy for consumers. So we struggled a lot with that. I mean, yeah. who, what really smart, successful person do you listen to? Yeah. The most. <laughs> when it's half and half almost, that was a, that was a tougher thing. It did set us up for a really good Kickstarter campaign. Mm-hmm. Uh, we decided to do it during Techstars, which was, incredibly hard because we had so much going on. But I think it was also smart because we had a lot of people paying attention. We had a lot of people with their eyes on us that cared about us during Techstars. and yeah. So I think that, that really helped us as well. And it was great for learning. That's, that's what Kickstarter for us really did the most. We learned a lot about how people were going to use Notion mm-hmm. and what their opinions of Notion were in terms of what they thought it coder should do. What they were struggling with with other products, it, it was a huge learning experience for us. But that was part of our goal with Kickstarter. You said you learned
1: how people use the product. Is that something that you learned because you were creating
0: the campaign before it actually launched, or you learned that after you launched it, or both? Yeah, it was both. I mean, some of it was very early beta tests and conversations. You know, we did a test where we didn't have working hardware, but we had a this small sensor just enclosure. And we would go to people's houses leading up to that and say, where would you put this knowing it can do these eight things? What would you use it for? So there's, there's ways to do beta testing and alpha testing that don't require any technology. Mm -hmm. Like that could have been a, I don't even know if it was a real enclosure. I think it was like clay. (laughs) Like we like made it and painted it so it didn't look like totally, totally (laughs) shitty. Like so that some of that kind of stuff was helped us to create the Kickstarter campaign. Mm -hmm. Once we ran the campaign, we got a ton of questions and we were really adamant about staying on top of them and answering every single one of them. And then post campaign. And as we've continued to pre-sale on our own website, we have continued to interact with those customers and survey them and, um, have phone calls and in-home meetings, whatever they're willing to do. So it was kind of a combination of all of those things. A lot of it was just, you know, a, a simple survey to, to all of our backers to say, well, how are you going to use it? We got the obvious door, window, water leak. One of the higher ranking ones was safes. Hmm. Didn't know that. Yeah. That's actually led us down the path of of some things that we'll announce probably late this year or early next year, some partnership opportunities that are pretty niche, but I think will be huge for us in terms of our distribution distribution uh, because it's has a clear need and we heard from a lot of people they wanted it and it just it kind of was one of those things that popped up that we didn't really think of yeah so i think that's one of our one of our biggest struggles but one of our bigger biggest opportunities is our marketing because we have a swiss army knife Mm -hmm. we can say here's eight things what do you want to do and you're kind of like well i don't know tell me what to do i need guidance here yeah but marketing for niche use cases is our opportunity we don't have one thing we do really well we have a lot so we can do gun safes we can go after big property owners for just water leaks to start with. We can spearhead our way into some opportunities as mm-hmm. well. So that's a challenge and an opportunity we faced on the marketing front. Yep.
1: Well, that's great. So you, you did the Techstars program in Boulder in the summer of 2014. Yep. And then did a successful Kickstarter campaign. How much did you raise from Kickstarter? So we pre-sales? did uh,
0: 200, just shy of 282,000 uh, from close to 1,400 backers. Great. Yeah. So
1: almost 300,000. In pre-sales, that's a, that's got to be one of the more successful Kickstarter campaigns. I know that there's, you know, there are some out there that have just gone crazy. Right? There's the unicorns that yeah. are millions of, millions of dollars.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, at the time, and I don't think in a year it's probably changed that much. Uh, put us in the top quarter percent of all mm-hmm. campaigns launched. Great. So it was really successful, and you know, it's it's great to have that as kind of a starting point. We didn't know how it would go. We did yeah. a lot of stuff leading up to it to try and make it successful, though. Mm-hmm. So,
1: so when you when you completed that. Yeah. You were still developing the hardware and the technology. I mean, you, I think you still are now. And so there's a lot of challenges along with that. So maybe talk about what that process is like. And, you know, I think a lot of people don't hear entrepreneurs talk about building
0: hardware. It's cool. And, and it is, it is harder. I mean, you know, the, the concept of starting two different companies is true. I mean, we have built a full mobile app. We're doing iOS and Android versions of it. We're starting to think more about what we would do for desktop kind of tools. And that's a, that's a whole software company. And that's two kind of modes of a software company. And that's desktop and mobile and kind of analytics versus alerting. And there's a lot going on with the user experience. The hardware piece, though, you know, my background is in a consum- from a, I should say, consumer products company where we did a ton of manufacturing of a new OTC drug line called UrgentRx, actually a Denver-based startup. Before that, I was doing finance. I'm a finance guy by training, I suppose. I was doing investment banking. And so for both me and Ryan, and, and I mentioned Ryan being at Callaway and Title, so consumer products, heavy manufacturing. And the really hard part about making consumer electronics is it's, it's very much a linear process in a lot of ways. There's a lot of talk about agile for software. It's really hard, if not impossible, to fully do Agile on on hardware. Mm -hmm. We have to build the whole thing and have all the functions running just to be able to test it. We can't have half the functionality to say, yes, our battery life is two years. We need all eight things running to say that. So an early issue we had was over-the-air firmware updates. We have the ability to update our hardware, the firmware on our hardware, over the air. Mm -hmm. So we did a bunch of work to program all of that, to do communication through the whole system. And the first time, all estimates said, it'll be fine. The first time we ran it, our battery died in about 20 minutes. And we're supposed to have a two-year battery life. And we're like, oh, well, that didn't work. But we had to build the whole sensor yeah. and design the board and have it made and put all those sensors on it and turn them all on at once and have them working well just to know that. Mm-hmm. And then we had to go back and, and rework all the the uh, over-the-air stuff, you don't have to do that with software. Right. You can work on step 10 before you get step 3 done a lot of the times. And, and with hardware, it's linear. Mm-hmm. So that's just been really hard for us, and we struggle with this today, and I think we probably will struggle with it for a long time, making sure the software and the hardware move in parallel and that one isn't blocking the other. That's a It's a really tough balance.
1: Yeah. So, Well, and it requires, like you said, it's almost two companies. So you require more people on the team because you require people who know how to build hardware right, and design and mechanical engineers and all that sort of stuff. And then you, in packaging, and then you have people on the software side. So that leads into you've raised uh, around, around the tech stars time. Yeah. You raised another round this past spring. Mm-hmm. And so, and I think you're, you're probably going to be going out to the market to raise a series a sometime in the next, you know, six to 18 months, I imagine. Yeah. So maybe shifting a little bit and talking about some of those challenges and what was good. I think there were probably some challenges like I can imagine you haven't told me this, but I can imagine there were probably challenges because you are a hardware company and some people probably go, I just don't even know what you're talking (laughs) about. I can't help you. Yeah. And then there's other challenges, you know, not being, in a place where, A, there's a lot of manufacturing in the Denver area, and B, there's obviously just uh, not as many
0: investors as... Right, right. We raised a pre-seed round of 500000 leading into Techstars, $1.5 in March. There was some pushback on the fact that we were hardware. There were people that just said, man, that's a a more expensive business model in some ways and you know, not comfortable with it. We tried really hard to make sure we didn't meet those people in the mm-hmm. first place, you know, so... But there is a good amount of that starting to to happen in Colorado, that being hardware, IoT, that kind of stuff. And there's a lot more comfort around our market right now because of things like the, the Nest acquisition by Google. But yeah. Nest gets acquired for $3.2 billion, and they're hardware, and they don't have recurring revenue, mm-hmm. at least not on the consumer side. Now, they're doing a lot with utilities and other stuff that was probably a big reason. But... That starts to make people think, okay, costs have come down low enough. There are people out there that can put these things together. Why were they successful? It was because of software and the user experience. Now, yes, they built a a very good-looking, new, cool piece of hardware. Mm -hmm. But I think it started to open up a lot of investors' eyes who traditionally were not in this space. And they see so much opportunity that people are kind of getting over it, I think, to a certain degree. Not everybody's comfortable with it. The other thing, that we were given some advice early on to... In our seed round, in that one and a half million dollar round is actually look for money from the coast. And here's, here's why a couple of reasons. One, we did tech stars in Colorado galvanizes an investor in us as well. Our Colorado network is really, really strong. Mm-hmm. If all we did is raise more money from the people we already know, they would be able to introduce us to essentially the people we already know. Yeah. Our network would have been just Colorado. Yeah. And for where we want to take this company, it needs to be so much bigger than that. And so that was a big reason, just expanding your network. And we did that. Our lead investors from our last round are Draper Nexus, DFJ Frontier, to name a couple. So two of the Draper funds very well connected and have dramatically increased our networks. Mm -hmm. We have seen a lot more investors looking at Colorado, which is great to see. We don't have enough money in the state for Series A, Series B, and Series C rounds, though. And that was a big part of it, too. When we're thinking about raising an A round, we wanted investors in our seed round that could potentially participate. Same thing for our A round. Mm -hmm. When we raise an A round, hopefully in the next six to eight months, we want people that could potentially lead or be a big part of a Series B round. And those people don't really exist in Colorado. And that's okay, but it's just, it's true. Mm -hmm. And then when we think about really big partners, when we think about potential acquirers down the road, if, if that ever you know becomes an ultimate... Uh, an ultimate circumstance for us, there are very few of those in Colorado. Mm -hmm. And again, that's okay. There's so many advantages to be here too. But I think that was sound advice, and I think you've seen some Colorado companies who didn't do that early on have trouble, uh, have a harder time raising some of those A and B rounds, especially in the hardware space.
1: Good. So let's go back to maybe the operational side of things and, and talk about what it's been like to build this company from people who, you know, maybe from networks that don't have a lot of IoT experience? And where are some of those, you know, where do you find talent and where do you, where do you get good people to, to join Notion?
0: Yeah. Our first hire was really lucky. A former uh, VP of Ops at UrgentRx that I worked with, so not in the tech space, 10 years earlier, had worked with who is now our head of hardware. When he found out what I was doing, why I was going to leave RX. Said, you got to talk to this guy. He's the best hardware firmware guy in the business. And, um, he'd done it for 25 years and he just so happened to be looking for his next thing and loved what we were doing. He was our first hire. So some of it is networking, always, I mean, you're kind of, you're kind of always, you know, kind of always selling. Uh, you're kind of always closing. You're kind of always hiring. And so I've continued. You're always fundraising.
1: You're always hiring. You're always selling.
0: Yep. (laughs) Exactly. And I think. Again, that's why I like to just network with without real goals in mind, not necessarily every time, but just, you know, meeting with a lot of people that eventually you may work with. I think those are where a lot of our hires have come from. There's also starting to be a little bit more a middle tier of companies in Colorado with 30, 40, 50 million in revenue, We're starting to become 80 to 100 employees, maybe 150 employees. And you're naturally going to have some people that want to be in smaller companies uh, when those companies reach those stages. And so we don't actively poach people. That's not the path I'm going down. But you do see, and we have seen a lot of interest from people that want to really get back into startups Mm -hmm. at much earlier stages, really have impact and own things, that kind of stuff. We play to those strengths all the time. And operationally, I think... We have focused so much on the user experience of the entire, you know, from out of the box to the, the size of the sensor to how you put it on a door. That's not hardware, really. Yeah. Some of that's hardware expertise. Like our head of hardware is very technically savvy. Mm-hmm. A lot of the rest of that, though, is, is getting people involved that have been a part of great user experiences before and not necessarily with physical products. You know, our head of marketing is an interesting one. He, worked for Go Light, mm. consumer product, okay. then Sterling Rice Group, big brand building, then started his own marketing startup that got sold, then was the VP of marketing for Winter Park Resorts. Mm. So brand building, consumer products, but along the way, great user experiences with those brands and really kind of bringing a feel for what that looks like, but also how they accomplished it, not just he knows what our user experience is. In fact, he knows he doesn't know it quite yeah. yet but the kind of that ingrained into all those things that he did I think represents the fact that he knew really nothing about consumer electronics didn't have a background in it but yeah. that wasn't the focus of the hire so I think I think we've learned a lot about who we want to hire and why and it's not always people that have expertise in what we're doing now a lot of the times the best hires we've had are people that, that frankly don't yeah. And and almost intentionally we will go after people that don't because we need a new and different and fresh perspective.
1: I I hear that from at least 50% if not more of the entrepreneurs within successful companies that I talk to. And that being we want to hire talent. Yeah. Right. We want to, we don't hire based on experience. Now, if you can get somebody with talent and experience, that's great, but it's really about there's a cultural fit aspect to the company. There's, can they roll up their sleeves and actually do what needs to be done? You're, analogy in terms of the user experience is a great one, right? Yeah. Somebody who knows brand building, knows user experience, they may not know consumer electronics, but that doesn't really matter. What you really want to do is be able to learn and build that experience and build that brand within within the new company. Yeah. So what's one of the most challenging things you've had to do over the last year, you know, twelve to eighteen
0: months? Delaying our launch. That's the other thing with Kickstarter, right? Seventy five percent of hardware Kickstarter projects are delayed and we were like, Oh, we're going to not fall into that trap. We're not going to do that. And here's why. And we promised to deliver at the end of July from Kickstarter. And it's, it's ex- extremely hard, unbelievably hard to actually predict from when you're at, you know, V2 of a hardware prototype to final hardware and final UX and final software to say, this is exactly when we know we're going to be ready. Mm-hmm. And we haven't fully shipped yet. We've gone through a 40-person beta. We should ship final hardware to another 100 people in the next three to four weeks. So we're really close. Mm-hmm. Final shipments to about the 2,000 customers we have now should be at the end of November. So we're four months late, roughly, in terms of when we hoped to have everything out there. And we are doing a lot of business pilots in between there, too. So we have working product. We have shipped product already. We just haven't shipped to everybody that we promised this to, mm-hmm. and we've gone through two delay announcements. The first one we were like, "Well, we're gonna—we just need a couple more months. We're really close." So here's our new due date. We had some issues come up with the plastics. Of all the technical things we're doing, the tool for the plastics, our enclosures, wasn't working right. We didn't think that that was ever going to be an issue, mm-hmm. but it was. So we had to delay again. This time around, and I wish we would have done this, I wish we would have done this with Kickstarter folks from day one, but we put together a roadmap page that now outlines everything we have to do, the ten kind of top ten things, Mm -hmm. with specific level of effort estimates in terms of man hours, how much we've done, how much we have left, and what that ultimately means for an ultimate delivery, kind of fully done date for what we're doing. And we've just started to become extremely transparent. And I wish we would have been even more transparent early on because the Kickstarter community and the pre-sale community are really, really forgiving. Yeah. I've backed a number of Kickstarter projects and I don't like when they're late, but I also don't care yeah. in a way. Like I know that they are just killing themselves trying to make this happen. Yeah. Well, you know from experience. Too. And I know from experience, which is a big deal for that reaction. But we've gotten, I bet we got 50 emails the day we launched that page. It was like, this is incredible. Like, thank you for just letting us know what's happening. We as a startup have the ability to do something big companies are never comfortable doing. Mm -hmm. They will never release their launch timelines to the public. It's just been an empowering thing. And it's been empowering for the team because the team was let down for those first couple of months. It was, Mm -hmm. you know, it sucks. Like, we didn't do what we were going to do. We didn't deliver on a promise. This has really empowered us to make decisions in a better way. It's empowered us to revise and better understand what our MVP looks like, you know, what we're going to launch with and why and when. And I think what our plan is, is now to continue with this. So when we say we're going to add function to Notion, well, here's our timeline for all the things we plan on doing. I think yeah. we want to continue that and make our customers more involved in that conversation. And so that, that's that been really, really hard. And I think harder internally mm-hmm. because it's not like we get external pressure, really. Right. That's easily been the hardest thing I think we've yeah. done and it's just been such a group effort. And it's been like really low and then really high when we message it well and are yeah. transparent and are working together. And I think it's been one of those kind of cultural things. Like that is culture. We can have beer in the fridge and a ping pong table all day long, which mm-hmm. we do. But that doesn't make culture like those really shitty times and then yeah. like kind of getting past them and being good again. And then like launching, that's what's going to be the base for our culture. Like five years from now, I'm going to point back to this. Yeah. And say like, this is why our culture is what it is. Yep. Well, so, I think it
1: really, it really lends itself to, there's a culture of transparency, Yeah. right? And it's, and I would imagine, you know, you haven't told me this, but I would imagine that the fact that you're ultra transparent to your customers about the process and what's going on, why there might be delays and what, where you are in that process probably trickles down into most things that the company does. I would imagine that there's a pretty transparent understanding with all the employees, knowing what's going on financially with the company and with your investors. I know that you're very transparent and I think that that's something that's really appreciated. But the real point is that the culture comes from doing it in every sense. You're not saying I'm going to be transparent here, but then completely opaque here.
0: Right. And I think the other piece of that, too, is it's not just about Ryan and I's employees trusting the two of us. It's about the whole group trusting each other. Mm -hmm. If I'm going to be this transparent about, say, fundraising or finance, then our head of hardware is hopefully going to return the favor, and if this has already happened, but where he'll bring things up sooner, where he won't be afraid to say, this isn't working and here's why, or I messed this up Mm -hmm. and here's how I'm going to fix it and here's how long it's going to take that just makes the whole company run better yeah. and it just, it's more fun. Like I just trust the people that I work with 110% and that's just where it comes from. Yeah. Um, you'd have to interview them if they actually trust me or not. <laughs> I have no idea. I hope that they do, but it's, it's just the way that I've always kind of been. It's kind of the way I am personally with my friends and just kind of how we wanted to run notion and yeah. it's coming through. So we're going to wrap up
1: shortly here, but I want to ask a couple more questions. The first is, where do you see Notion going? What's, the, what's your ultimate goal in, in building this company?
0: That's always a, that's always a good question. So, um, you know, I, I always kind of like to answer this with a bit of a, a cultural caveat, and I'll explain myself. You know, I think where our industry is, the product that we're building, I do think that if we are successful in executing, we'll, we'll be a great acquisition target. I think we'll have a lot of consumers. I think we'll have an application in your pocket. I think we're solving real problems. And I think for Brian and I, this is our first you know, big step into being entrepreneurs. And so I think for the two of us, we'd like to see a successful exit for us, for our investors and for our employees. Um, I don't think that this is a 30-year lifelong company where we are a, a massive organization beyond the next three to five years. Mm-hmm. I could be wrong about that. And I'm open to that. I, I don't think I necessarily want to sell, but there's a lot of other things that Ryan and I both want to do. I think that's just where our heads are. Mm-hmm. My caveat is that's not what I think about every day. I think we're truly solving real consumer problems. And I want this product in my home. And I want it to work really, really well for me. Like When I travel for work, I want my wife to feel safer at home. And I want to know if we're on vacation that there's a water leak. Like I think about the product and the customers. I don't think about a sale. Yeah and i want the company to be run that way culturally so that's my cultural caveat is I, we don't talk about how we can sell this company for more how we can keep the absolute most ownership percentage of every single investment we make those things i don't that i don't that's not fun to me like those are the kinds of things that are important but it's just it's not the daily conversation around here and and that's sort of the point i i like to make along with saying yes we do think an eventual sale is probably where we want to take the company, but it's never going to matter. It's never going to get there. We definitely aren't going to enjoy the means to that ultimate end yeah. if that's the focus.
1: Yeah. What? That's really. Those are good points. I, I love it. What has been the biggest surprise over this last two-and-a-half-year journey?
0: That's a tough question. There's a lot of surprises. I think a... A surprise for me, and maybe surprise is the wrong word, but I think how how our team seems to kind of have rallied around this tough time that we're in right now, mm-hmm. and then also how I would say our investors and other advisors have kind of done the same. You're always so afraid. I mean, afraid of failure, I guess, is maybe the easiest way to put that, but I'm always really afraid that our employees are unhappy or that they aren't fulfilled or they don't feel valued and so I try my best to meet with them a lot, to talk to them a lot, to really keep a pulse on things and in a way, you know, with investment banking as my start, I I don't necessarily have the best cultural history. I think I have maybe some examples of, of what I don't want. I don't have as many examples of what I really, really do ultimately want, at least kind of want people to feel on a daily basis i've been in experiences where i i don't feel that excitement and that ownership and that passion on a daily basis and i've hated that and so our first sort of speed bump as a company i think was a test of of that and i was really surprised and happy that people came together we didn't have three people quit they're like oh we're screwed we're done you know we don't care it wasn't that at all it was very much the opposite so that was a really pleasant surprise obviously hope we can kind of keep that going but I think that was something that I just I worry a lot about and I I liked (laughs) the pleasant surprise that it actually kind of came to fruition that we all did sort of come together as a team um, to to try to get past that tough time so I think that's kind of the thing that comes to mind amongst a lot of other surprises. But Yeah, I'm sure. Well, that, yeah. that's good.
1: Good surprises are are nice yeah. to hear because yeah. usually you hear about the the not so good surprises. <laughs> but that's, that's yeah. a really well put sentiment around not having any idea how the team and investors are going to respond in a real time of struggle. And yeah. So it's good. To and know. we'll
0: have more. And, you know, to have the confidence that, not that that won't matter, <laughs> every hard time is going to matter a lot, but... Just to go into it and say, you know almost not be worried.
1: We'll get through this. Well we're going to wrap up but
0: I want to give you a couple minutes
1: to let's plug notion. So where, where can we <laughs> where can I find the sensors? Give me the, the 30 second sales pitch here so people can go out and, and check this out. It's a really, really cool product.
0: Yes notion uh, getnotion.com is our website. We're pre-selling right now. We have some uh, pre-sale prices so for only 199 bucks you get three sensors and a bridge no required monthly fee. Uh, We will have a cellular version of that bridge in about four months, and that will have a small monthly fee, but up front, no no monthly fee required. So really inexpensive when you think about the comparison to home security with all the added function. We're also on Amazon. They launched a new thing called Launchpad. If you haven't checked it out, it's pretty cool too, just to see new products. So we're we're pre-selling there as well, and should be launching, like I said, end of November. Uh, And then we'll We'll be, um, we'll continue to sell direct. For us, retail probably is 12 to 18 months away. We didn't even talk about retail with hardware. That's that's a whole other conversation. Oh, right. We made the decision to hold off on retail, but very easy to get it online and through Amazon to start with. So check it out, getnotion.com, Notion on Twitter, and other avenues. At Notion on Twitter and getnotion.com.
1: And Brett, thanks for taking the time to, to speak with me. And I think it was a really, Really good session, and looking forward to continuing to track your progress and see how everything goes in the future.
0: Thanks so much for having me. Appreciate it. All right.